Okay, we've got a very special guest in the studio with us today. Uh, I'm Joe Offlane, as always. I'm here with Matthew Clark. How you doing, Matthew? I'm good. You? Yeah, very good. Thank you. Good. Uh, yeah, so joining us today, as I say, very special guest, John Hegan. So uh, let's just run through a little profile. So you've got uh, Krav Maga, completed it. Um, Jiu-Jitsu, completed it. Uh, judo, completed it. Tang Sudo, completed it. You've all spent time in the Marines and uh, in Young Offenders Institutes. How are you doing, John? Very nice good, to see thanks. you. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for welcoming us into your home today. Oh, that's very nice. So yeah, as I say, you're uh, you're pretty uh, got some qualifications behind you. You've got an interesting life, I would say. So we're just going to run through some of that stuff now, if that's okay with you. As has a bit of background, you're a full-time jiu-jitsu coach now, a black belt under Hoist Gracie. I think that's correct. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so we're going to take it right back to the start, if that's okay with you, Matthew. Talk about childhood and your youth. Um, so I mentioned you've been in the military and obviously you train martial arts for a long time. Was that part of your your childhood growing up? Is that something you was interested in? Or um, yeah, I I watched um, I think First Blood. That was this sort of like mega sort of pivotal film when I was fourteen. Um, and I just remember thinking that's that's a that's a really cool guy, you know. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's got scars. He's he's got a bit of uh, PTSD and that. Um, that's the guy that I I want to be, you know. And he's obviously. Uh, breaks everyone up in the police station so it's just um, again a little bit of fantasy but I thought um, I want to do something like that so from that I, I joined the army cadets at 14 and then that was it really I just sort of stayed with the cadets and then I I had an interest in martial arts but I didn't, I didn't really do anything not properly um, I did a bit of karate literally two classes um, about 14 and then it wasn't until I was 18 when I started Tang Sudo and that's that's when I've really not stopped doing martial arts so yeah almost 30 years this year okay so the military came first then when you saw Rambo it was it was the military aspect of it that yeah 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 I think the impression you get or most people get is with a, a soldier you know a special forces guy he can speak different languages he can bash people up he can blow things up he can shoot you know sn- you know, you can do it all yeah. sort of very alpha male kind of um, sort of character so yeah so th- that's that was kind of your motivation for joining the military you, you didn't have any certain political views or anything like that at the time no, it was just, no, it was just, just, uh, just shooting stuff just look good doesn't it you know? it does yeah yeah that's fair <laughs> enough so I don't know if you wanted to uh, touch on a little bit of your time. So you, did you go straight to Marines? Is, is that is that how that works? Yes. Yeah. I uh, I was doing Tang Sudo, and I, I think at the time I was the class as an adult instructor with the cadets. So I was. I met a guy who had been in the Falklands War. He's a Marine. He was doing Tang Sudo. He was a, like a second degree black belt. And again, a very sort of positive uh, kind of role model in that. And and he did sort of, he had that kind of, you know, a little bit of a thousand yards stare. And um, I thought, wow, that's, um, he's a pretty cool guy. <laughs> and, you know, you get the impression, like anyone that served in the, in the military full time, you have a bit of a low opinion of the TA. Right. Because you're part, you're part time. Yeah, yeah. 
and I was a I wasn't even TA I was like an adult instructor for, for cadets so you're like you're doing a, like a good sort of communal um, thing but you're really just putting on a uniform and hoping you're part of the military and you, you know you're not really so I, I just figured look you either do this thing properly or, or not at all and I, the Marines I remember watching it on Blue Peter I thought if there's any regiment I wouldn't join because it looked so tough it'd be the Marines you know it yeah. just looked ridiculous but um, I thought, well, you know, let's let's give it a go, and, and that was it. So yeah, I. It's funny because at the same time, I, on that same year, I think I was nineteen. I did selection for two one SAS, the TA version. Okay. Thinking that would be an elite uh, unit to, to to join, but it's part time. I I could still do, um, you know, other stuff. Yeah. Whereas if you go Marines, that's it. You are full time and. Um, so I did the the two one selection. I did like two weekends, um, which is a, a funny sort of series in itself. And then I did the the Royal Marines PRC shortly after. So I failed that first one. But I think by that point, I realised that you're going to have to do this. It's you know, um, and one of the reasons they they said that you failed was because you was doing the two one selection. We don't think your heart's really in this, and it was right. Right at the time, it wasn't. I, I, did, I gave a very bad interview. So on the train home, I thought, right, well, it's you got to do this. So I went back three months later and then passed the PRC, and then um, yeah, started training. I think it was February '92. So that was it. All kicked off from then. And how is the selection? Is it everything that that we hear about? Is it everything that you sort of had heard the about TA before? One. Well, yeah, so that's the TA and then... The, the, the TA, I mean, that was just hilarious. <laughs> it, it was it was really cool, because up until that point, I'd never seen an SAS guy. You know, you as a, as a cadet, all you do is watch, read the magazines, you watch Who Dares Wins yeah. the, multiple times. So it's it was at um, Chelsea Barracks in London. And when you get there, like, all these guys are walking around with the beige berets it's just like that looks the coolest thing and I mean I was no different I was with all the other water mitties really I was 19 I hadn't really prepared for it I, I was sort of fit but only pub fit you know I was the yeah. fittest guy in my group of drinking buddies you know which doesn't really put you in it's not quite yeah <laughs> SAS kind of category I'm afraid but um, so we just had to do a, a three mile run with uh, so you do a mile and a half with the troop, and then a mile and a half on your own, which doesn't sound too terrible. No, the mile and a half is done at a breakneck speed, and I mean, I think, and it was a, it was funny. It was a very hot day, but I hadn't drunk. I hadn't I had no preparation at all. Um, somehow I did pass it, but you had these guys just flopping. I mean, you could tell they weren't. They was not really here for good reasons I think so that got rid of loads of guys so I I advanced the following weekend and um, same thing there really I I realised very quickly that so I was in a in a dormitory um, with guys that were ex-regular well prepared they was here for you know so one of the funny things was opposite me there was a guy I think he was an ex-fusilier PTI a, he looked the part. He had like Ron Hill running shorts. He had these 
proper running trainers like Nike, the top of the range. He was going out these little Lucasade pouches, <laughs> and I looked in my cupboard. I had a pair of cut-down jogging sh- uh, fleecy bottoms. Right. Yeah. A marathon bar, two marathon bars. That was my. <laughs> That's how long ago it was. Marathon yeah, bars. and it was mar- and that was it. It wasn't even Snickers then. <laughs> and I thought you're having a laugh. I didn't even have water. I had nothing. Oh, wow. You know, I just thought you're gonna suffer. <laughs> so the next day, and it was it was in July, and uh, it was um, we had to do an it was an eight mile run, and I, I hadn't run more than three miles in my life. Right. So I, I. I think on the way back he just ran out four miles turn around come back he was pretty no, he didn't have to map read or anything but on the way back there was guys that collapsed in and they were fit guys but they just set off too quick and yeah. they was on drips and but I had cramp in both legs I was walking like that <laughs> I, I hated I thought what are you doing it was, you know it was really crazy and I, I think I failed by four minutes it actually wasn't that bad so what was um, the time limit overall it was 68 you had to do it in oh, so not, uh, 64 so not that bad at all really but there's guys that are coming in in like 50 yeah it was again it was a, a very because then that second weekend you get rid of another load of guys which obviously I was in that um, but that really did set me up for the, the Royal Marines PRC because when I went I bought some decent trainers I got well prepared you know so that it although it was a it was um a bad experience in one respect it set me up for the PRC uh, later so even though that was horrendous the PRC was uh, brutal um, I was yeah a bit more prepared for it yeah. so fitness wise I was, I was okay you know it wasn't it wasn't easy I wasn't the fittest guy by a long shot but uh, yeah you get through it cool so a bit of a blessing in disguise then I guess sort of uh I taught you some valuable lessons but, but before that, you even you can't fail the experience is a really great phrase and you know I, I just being on that camp seeing all the SAS guys uh, just having the experience just having your body at that age you know completely smashed by the physicality and, and that was just the beginning really yeah but then just gives you an experience for another day okay so then you moved on to Marines yeah from there how was the training for that? I imagine it stepped up uh, a little bit. It's just, it's because it's consistent. So it's 30, 30 weeks. I think it's 32 now. They added another couple of weeks. But even when it's 30, that's still the longest in uh, in NATO. Yeah. So I think the parachute regiment at the time, they did 22 weeks. Um, so we had, so you have... Um, the last eight weeks is they call like commando that's the commando phase but um, I did 34 weeks so I got put back to troops so I had okay. to do an additional month um, but yeah but you know it's, it is what what you kind of read and see you know it's um, it's just hard it's 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 all day every day there's no real f- failure so they won't really kick you out the marines right. if you've got that far if you've got in you're in so if you're not fit enough they'll get you fit um, very few people would sort of you know complete 30 weeks and then go I don't want to do this anymore I know I mean a lot of people say they, they join the marines they completely train in 
they got their green lid but then they left I, that doesn't really happen okay it's you know normally you get to week 13 that's the cut off point if you if you say I do not want to do this then yeah you can go after that you're pretty much tied in for the next four years really. okay so what are some of the sort of things that do make people quit before the 13th week any um, sort of examples it's just they just realise it's not the life for them you know um, the first two weeks induction so you're up at well there's no real time you have to be up but you have to be so you have to pray for seven o'clock in the morning and by that you've got to you know be washed shaved had your breakfast um, all your, you know, everything's got to be ready so when you when did when does that start? Well, that should start really then by about five o'clock in the yeah. morning for for a lot of people. It's like five o'clock. That is enough for them to you know what every day. You're like, well, yeah. yeah. Um, and you're not getting to bed until midnight at the earliest. And you know if you've had a physical day, and people don't like being shouted at, that that was a lot for you know, a lot of people, especially with guys in their kind of early twenties and that. They don't want to be shouted at by some guy who's probably not that much older or told what to do. Um, obviously, the, there is the physicality of it, but again, if you if you pass the PRC, you are fit anyway. It's whether or not you just want to put up with all the noise for the next thirty weeks, really. So, um, like different reasons, but I think most of it, I just realise it's not not the life. What it's not what they expected. They thought they'd be jumping out of helicopters in week two, yeah. and you know, it's not. You you got a, a lot of nonsense to come before <laughs> you even think about that. So after how long did you think? All right, yeah, this is for me. Straight away. No, or I did. You I, have doubts during I that doubts. period. The weird thing was, I had no plan B. All in. I didn't know what I was going to do. Mm. So, I mean, by nature, I'm a little bit kind of sarcastic and that sort of come across and I think because I've been in the cadets a long time I think the impression I give to the training team was I was kind of a little bit of a know-it-all but I I didn't really know anything not at that level so my my sort of humour can go two ways I think with people yeah. unfortunately it, it didn't hit off with my section corporal I had a section corporal to begin with you thought I was brilliant he really liked me and I was I was all good for six weeks, and then he moved to do a juniors course. So we got a new guy in, and he didn't find me funny at all. <laughs> and really, that was the kind of um, so I hadn't failed any physical tests um, at all. I hadn't failed any yomps. So I got to week twenty, but I he had had me on warnings, and I was always on my last. But come uh, week twenty, we did a particular exercise, which um, was was called hold fast, which is basically digging a hole, a trench, and you just stay awake for a week. And <laughs> sorry, <laughs> I'll just stay awake for a week. Yeah. That's pretty much it. You just dig a hole <laughs> for a week, and they will not let you sleep. How was that? That's insane. I mean, it's that that is not really a, it's not a physical exercise you you do a little bit of yomping yeah. but it is the fact that you are deprived to sleep for a week um, and you're going out and exercise uh, out on patrol at night 
So I think over the week you, you you probably would catch four or five hours. So you you have hallucinogenic yeah. when you are, and I've, I've, you know we'd all have an experience at some point. But I was talking to the corporal, and I realised he wasn't there. But I was quite happy chatting away. You know, so this is this is crazy, and we all had that a little bit. Just talking to a tree instead, you know, or something. I, there's no one there. Yeah, I, I I I couldn't really. But yeah, that was that was a crazy kind of um, a really really tough exercise. And he had me kicked out on that exercise there. So I went back two weeks. You had to repeat the previous two weeks plus that exercise. So I had to do it again. And then that section corporal obviously got word from his mate, give this guy a hard time. <laughs> so I had another week of hold fast, same thing, and I got kicked out again after that. So that was definitely what you're kicking me out for because it's digging a hole, you know. Yeah. Um, and so it was a, a very strange situation developed where at that point then you know, I'd had enough. I was just gonna be awkward and get myself kicked out. But I spoke to my friend, um, and he's one of these guys. He's never really given me any good advice before or since. But he just said, <laughs> "So I was on the phone. I said, I said, I've had enough." And he just said, "Look, if uh, he said you've got to try the third troop, and he said you've got to give it a hundred percent. He said if you go in there, kind of not caring, and they will kick you out." You'll look back in years to come and just say, "What if, if, if only, and all yeah. that." I said, "Okay." So um, that's what happened. I, I joined the new troop, and that's even that is a like another kind of story. But the troop sergeant liked me, and that made life much easier. So within the space of a really a, a couple of days. You get all your confidence back. You think I can make a few jokes here, and I'm not going to get a hard time for it. And um, that was it. Then the rest of the training was, I, I sort of passed out as one of the fitter guys in the troop. Which way back in the beginning, I was at the bottom three for sure. You know, so it, it, it really was a. Um, but again, I don't look back bit, with bitterness. That extra month, I think, it was a, again another part of your life, a good character building thing. You know, you you've been to some real sort of. Uh, some depths and that and you come out so yeah it was um, it was okay so that was it and then we had that um, you, you finish training and then life is easier uh, but you will still do very hard sort of exercises and, uh, and that so yeah so when you when you, you you pass like you just said you finish training life becomes a little bit easier are they looking to maintain those levels of fitness or is well those fitness levels though and that, those tasks they were putting you through before that was just to see if you could mentally deal with it and you're almost too fit because now you're in you're not doing as intense stuff so you you can't maintain I mean your body they say you get to an Olympic level of fitness so you're training um, you're doing the, the physical standard physical stuff but when you're on exercise you're doing more physical as in like the yomps the carrying the weight but then if you're not doing that, you're normally getting thrashed for some sort of um, infringement. You know, use late to turn up for duty. Right. So for the next hour, you're going to run up and down. So you've got all this physical stuff, which wouldn't really be, if you was, a, if you was an Olympic athlete, you'd have rest. Yeah. You don't get that rest. The only rest you'll get is if you get injured. 
then you'll go to the rehabilitation uh, troop and what they do with you there they just thrash you <laughs> there really so um, the your your body I think let's just say the average age is 19 to 21 in training there's older guys now um, but really that is probably the time your body can endure pretty yeah. much anything and recover really well when you get to the right uh, uh, commando unit if you're in a fighting unit then the fizz is still every day but it wouldn't be you know you're not getting thrashed no. you, know, you do your fizz in the morning might do a little bit in the afternoon that's that's pretty much it you know there's the expectation that you will keep yourself in shape anyway okay so then you move on to like the, the soldiering side I guess in, in the training once you're in that commando unit is that the right phrase for what sorry then? so uh, you're in, you've made it to the commando unit right, yeah, as you yeah. say the physical um, exertion kind of that's left up to you now yeah so now you yeah. moved into the actual how to be a soldier training is that what comes next yeah I mean you learn uh, you learn how to be a soldier in training but okay. you don't really learn the, 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 the crafts or practice it so for a lot of guys they've never done any soldiering they've come from civil street so if you think of um, how many hours you do of soldiering and training, it, it's not that much because you've got so many other things to, to do. Yeah. So going to the commando unit, obviously you, you're working with people that are experienced soldiers now. So when you pick up, a bit like jiu-jitsu, if you surround yourself with white belts, your progress will be very slow. If you are with purples and blacks, and then obviously you're... Sure. You just mix them with them people yeah, and they yeah. can just show you the, the, the best way. So, um, yeah, that's what you do. You join a unit and then you'll just find yourself and you'll look at, see what other people do. So, because a lot of stuff that you learn in training, you never use in, in, in your unit anyway. Um, you always have your own kit, your own ways of doing things. Yeah. But you have, you have to start from somewhere, I guess. Cool. Okay, so you, I believe you did go uh, on an operational tour to Northern Ireland. Yeah. 94, 95. Uh-huh. I don't know how much you can talk about that, but what was it like actually, you know, getting out there as an active soldier in a... It's good fun. It's good fun. Yeah. You know, you get the um, you get helicopter over there, um, the Chinook, uh, the twin rotor, yep. you know, so you look out the window and you just see what you used to see on the news footage and that. We was... What what you have in any you know, in any warfare, you just have your troops that hold the ground, as they say. So that's really been what happened in Northern Ireland for for years. You just get troops out on the ground, keep a presence, uh, and stop the bad guys from doing being able to just do what they want. Yeah. So in Afghanistan and that, you have groups on the tra- uh, on the ground constantly to stop people laying bombs that's the reason you put troops out on the ground um, to, to just not allow them freedom of movement and that's what our job was in Northern Ireland so I was part of a uh, what they called it there a heli- helicopter reaction force so you just sit in a room and you'd either be called out for a job or you'd be in a helicopter anyway just patrolling the skies and if you see something suspicious you just either land the helicopter the helicopter can land you fast rope you jump out on the rope and then stop a vehicle or um, you know, do that sort of stuff so that was my job there's other cooler jobs that was um, going on 
um, which would be then left to the you know the more specialist units. Sure. So yeah, that was my six months. So you did six months over there. I mean, for me, I don't know uh, about you, Matt. The, the troubles in Northern Ireland, were, I was a little bit too young to to fully understand them. But obviously, I've grown up around like the Iraq War and people are going to Afghanistan and. I guess when you're there, it's almost it's it can be quite clear who the enemy is when you're in Afghanistan, or at least you've got a vague idea of who they are. So for for like a, a complete sort of outsider to me, is it is it odd going to what would be considered a war zone in somewhere like Northern Ireland, where everyone looks like you, you speak the same language? I mean, it's like I say, I wasn't really around at that time, but is is that was that an odd thing that you found or I I was at a roadblock and um, a very attractive girl came up obviously uh, on our side and just started talking to us and we was all talking to her and again we were we were still young at the time you know early 20s and we said look what is the big deal between the Protestants and the Catholics why do you not get on and you know, she gave a, a very sort of bad example of of racism in England, and uh, and and someone said, "Yeah, but okay, if you dislike these people for their colour, you can, you know, it's it's, it's the colour that you're saying is is the issue here. Mm. What is the issue? Because here everyone's the same colour, and you all speak, you know, it, it all seems." And she said, "Their eyes are closer together." So he's right. <laughs> now, with that logic, you can't really go anywhere, can you? <laughs> no. It was um, so. It was, and and there was she wasn't. She was completely serious. So you thought, well, they don't really. They just hate each other because they just hate each other. Yeah. There's no um, good reason for it. Not you know, there's any good reason to hate anyone. But there was no. Um, she was never going to make any sense of that um, statement there. So for us, it was more of a part of, you know, you're, you're peacekeeping, you're trying to stop them from fighting, and you're trying to stop the, you know, the IRA from basically blowing things up. Yeah. So, um, you know, there, there's that to it. Plus, at the time, I think they said the IRA was, was really a, a, a criminal organisation. It was a multi-million pound criminal um, empire. So there was a political aspect. There's also a huge money-making aspect sure. to it as well. So you know there were several reasons why they had to be sort of um, dealt with. I mean, I forget what the the, the figures, but the um, you know the income they was making from crime, you know, prostitution, drug running, uh, enforcing, you know, uh, was. You could see why it was good to be a terrorist. You yeah, know, you, it was it was cool to be a terrorist. I mean, I think I'm trying to think of the. In, so we was based in South Armagh and uh, Cross McGlen. I think they said no one had paid a TV license in 20 years in Cross McGlen. What license van will drive into Cross McGlen mm. <laughs> and start knocking Demand on doors? Demand payment, yeah. <laughs> So people quite enjoyed the, you know, having the backup, you know, because they wouldn't pay car tax, they wouldn't pay any. Um, so yeah, it was it, it was it wasn't a straightforward situation. No, definitely at all. The more you you got into it, but for us, we was just told, look, they're bad guys, they do bad things. Let's see if we can stop them from doing that. 
so you had no sort of you didn't really care either way in sort of what they're up to or were you aware at the time and you thought I'm still here to do my job I'll like you say just keep the bad job guys and, and, and you know they've done some terrible things so you know you, um, but from a yeah no not not from a not political point of view you, you just um, yeah just just trying to prevent bad things from happening I guess really so. how old are you at this time I'd have been 23 by then You're very young still weren't you at that time yeah yeah and not I'm not have ever been politically sort of motivated yeah. at all so again it's just look this is the job go out there and uh, try and do your job really yeah okay so you did six months over there eventually you decided uh, that that life was no longer for you so how long did you spend before before you left the uh, the commando I've done just under six years in total so, so a decent stretch then it's alright it's not, not the longest no. but um, I think at the time we'd We've done the operational tour, and and then what you've got is is what they call it, like peacekeep peacetime soldiering. There was plenty going on in the mid nineties. Uh, Bosnia was was going crazy and that, but there's a huge budget um, constraints, so we weren't really getting sent anywhere. So you're just on camp a lot. And I remember we was on spearhead. So spearhead is where a unit gets tasked. If anything kicks off anywhere in the world, you will go. So you've got like a 30 minutes notice to move. So all your kit, you're, you're basically, for six weeks, you will just sit around camp waiting for something to happen and, and you know, nothing happens. So by yeah. that time, I think, I'm not quite sure where my career will go with this. So that, that was one thing. The other thing is really what the Corps offers, which at the time, again, wasn't an awful lot in terms of you know, your development so the choices you had you either could get quite comfy in a commando unit or you had to go special forces because then that is more is, is, is open to you yeah it's whether or not you want to take the plunge and do that so I think at the time I probably wasn't as motivated as what I should I, I would need to have been certainly not fit enough and then you make a decision well if I'm not going to do the SF side maybe think about moving on so, like you say, you moved on. Did you have any sort of plan? I believe you've been you'd been a Met Hoist Gracie in this time period as well. Yeah. So at the end of we was on a big exercise in the states, and I'd seen the UFC as everyone had like early nineties and that. So I was on some beach in North Carolina. I thought I'll, I'll phone the Gracie Academy and see if I can visit. I thought that'd be an amazing idea. Yeah. So I phoned him, obviously I thought I was mad, some English guy phoning from a call box. Oh, um, really? You know, and they said, yeah, well, if you, yeah, if you can make it, you can come down and train, that's fine. So I thought, wow. So in 97, every every year you'd have, in the Marines, you'd have an adventure training package, which would basically go canoeing for two weeks in Wales. But if you organise something yourself, you can do that they might pay for a little bit so my, my plan I said look I'll go and do jiu-jitsu for two weeks in America and they said yes <laughs> which was crazy because I could have just gone on holiday for two yeah, weeks yeah, yeah. so you have to go and see your company commander and, and I think it's one of those things if you're so brash about it it has to be true doesn't it Yeah. and I said yeah there's this guy he, he's, he's skinny but he beats up 
other guys and it's this the other thing was I think he did karate so he was a little bit martial arts orientated but they didn't pay for anything um, he just he said you need to give me some tickets and some evidence that you but never I did but they, they never asked for it no. so that was it so I went out in February 97 and um, yeah trained there for two weeks met Hoyce and that and just had a yeah, had a whale of a time doing that. So was that your first experience of yeah. jiu-jitsu? And was it one of those moments that lots of people talk about? Your first lesson, you're like, yeah, this is this is something I want to do? Because I think you had your judo black belt at that time? No, no. no? I'd, I'd been doing judo, um, again, once a week. So I was a green belt, I think, at the time. Um, and on my first class, so we did like the jiu-jitsu self-defense did a few moves and that but really I'm, I'm waiting to roll yeah couldn't wait <laughs> and there's a, a blue belt one stripe and quite a big fella quite gangly and that but I put me with him and as you do as a I, I went straight in I pulled guard and he's gone for a, like a I used to put his arm between my legs I thought that's a triangle choke you sucker I slapped that on and he's done what is now known as the you know, stacking pass. Yeah. So I didn't know at the time he was um, he was undergoing the instructor training program. So he knew what he was doing, and he stacked me up, and I fought the stack. Mm-hmm. And then at one point my neck is. Poof, I thought, oh my god, I've I've done something here. <laughs> and that was it, my first experience. By the time I got back to the hotel, I couldn't move my neck. I was in complete. Um, sort of uh, rag order as they say day one day one is this so on the very first day the very first training session I I didn't think I'd be able to train the rest of the week it was that I I had a one of them hot cold compressed things taking pain so I went in the next day I couldn't train I sat to sit and watch the class I I remember thinking I've flown 7,000 miles I've I had no money, but what money I'd spent, and I'm just sitting, I can't do anything. But um, by about day three, it sorted itself out. So no, the first day was not that at all. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the opposite almost. So how long did you spend there a week in total? It was 10 days. 10 days, so by the end of the 10 days, had you grown? Again, one of those, like, very, I try and um, make it very quick. So that was a bad experience. Um, I th- I, but I wasn't convinced by jiu-jitsu you still think you know, I've, I was tapping out sort of black belt judo guys and I thought and at, back in the academy you're getting taught by blue belts mm. but I hadn't rolled with any of them I thought I should be able to show them up a little bit and the guy this Mark Bowmeister it's a big blue belt I rolled with him so the first roll I had with him within seconds he's mounted on me and I couldn't do anything. He's just like flapping around as all beginners familiar with that. Um, so again, I, that role finished. I don't think he even bothered submitting me. There was no point. He, you know. So that was him. But then one day, um, the Grand Master's in, Helio Gracie. So I had met him in the, um, the locker room. He was just putting towels away. So he would visit, I think, every year. And I just happened to, he happened to be there at the same time. So he took the class 
So the other guy called Kaiki, he would translate because Helio wouldn't speak any English. And at the end, um, he, I didn't know his, like, his, his sort of trick. He pulled the biggest guy out. I wasn't, I'm not the biggest guy, but I was that day in the class. Yeah. To mount him and try and choke him or arm lock him and do something. So I thought, okay, well, he's 83 at the time. God. And, you know, he's like a twiglet. Yeah. And uh, I thought, well, I'll take it easy on him. Yeah. So I've gone for a cross choke and he's, I'm now in his guard. I thought, well, that, that happened. You know, really very, very good. So I thought, okay, I'll. And he said to me, when we translated, try harder, you know, but he was serious. He wasn't, it wasn't, he, he wanted a, a a good demonstration so yeah. I've gone a little bit harder and he's he's bridge and rolled me so now I'm, I'm on my back I thought well that was good as well and then he said again look you know do it with some you know some some oomph so I put in like a really aggressive choke and the same thing he's just poor guard so I thought okay that's impressive but you know so then I think the day after, Hoist took the class. And same thing with him. I, I roll with him. I, and you still think, I'm in with a shout here. I think, I think I could probably, you know, even though I couldn't do anything with Mark Bowmeister at Bluebell. Yeah. And I'd seen Mark get mullered by Kaiki. You still think you, you should be able to do something. <laughs> and I remember Hoist passing my guard as if I might as well have just been lying down, really. So I thought, oh, that's, that's good. And then um was at the spa class on a Saturday, and I see this this sort of young lad fold up a blue belt. The blue belt wasn't big, but um, quite impressive. And we got paired. I didn't ask to pair. We just ended up being paired. Yeah. So I rolled with him, and he was good. But I'm much bigger, much stronger, much fitter. And eventually I, I put in this awful choke. I couldn't teach it. If you saw it, you'd just say that was embarrassing. <laughs> but he's tapped to it. I've got mounted around, he's tapped. I'm drenched in sweat and I said, I said, mate, you're really good. How old, how old are you? He said, I'm 12. <laughs> and, and that was Still that. a win though, isn't it? That's what I say. And I thought that, that and so it was probably that was the defining moment. I thought, yeah, yeah. I've been kidding myself really this whole week. If if a twelve year old can really have me against the ropes, and the best I can do is just really muscle him. Um, imagine what he would be. He can do at fifteen, sixteen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so that was it. I was then. Let's let's get this jiu-jitsu stuff uh, sorted out. Of course, you came back from there, and shortly after, you've left the Marines. Yeah. So I don't know if you had a plan in mind, but I believe you started uh, doing a bit of door work from there. Is that uh, what happened? Yeah, my, my plan was... So at the same time, I, I, I'd done a few Krav Maga seminars and those offering instructor course. So in terms of jiu-jitsu, uh, back then, grappling was not popular and it didn't make sense to start a grappling art. So I've been doing judo. Every judo club I've ever been to, five people in it. If you do something like taekwondo or you know, I had, was doing tang sudo, 25, 30 people and back then self-defense is still, still punching and kicking yeah. so grappling really didn't make sense even though I, I really could see the value in it 
even back then it is you know no one else is teaching it so um, I thought Crab Maga would be the, the thing to do so that was the plan I would start teaching and that would be my living and obviously very quickly realised that that's uh, again a very bad plan because it's going to take years yeah. to build a class um, so yeah I started I, I was on the dole um, looked for looked for work um, saw that it was looked like easy money so I just started yeah just doing door work in a home church pub how was that interesting again another one in an experience um, yeah so it wasn't like loads of um, scrapes I mean just one story from there which so again I'm not the biggest guy um, but I had a shaved head and wore a bomber jacket and the, the landlord wasn't convinced so one of the other guys I was with was a rugby player 20 stone but had no kind of uh, no social skills you could just tell he was probably going to be counterproductive as a doorman really right yeah the other guy the head doorman he was just an idiot really <laughs> you could just tell a big fella but was not really going to get involved in anything so we was a bit of a, a trio really <laughs> um, so anyway I think I've been there a few weeks and I'd just done a good job of talking people down but one night so back then obviously it was uh, 11 o'clock was last orders okay. so we was fin- we wouldn't get paid after 11.30 so yeah you know obviously you want to get people out so we had a few guys that was um, just kept drinking and then drinking off the bar and eventually I, I got the ump and I took a bottle out of the lad's hands so he's pushed me and I kind of expected him to push yeah so I've pushed him back and what he's done he's he's stepped on an ice cube I think so as I've pushed him he's gone flying down the bar spinning <laughs> and then all over the place and the other doorman sort of grabbed him and someone's grabbed me and but that was it he didn't so the landlord's come down and he was really excited he thought oh it's all been kicking off and John's dealt with it so he said I, I need to look at this on the camera so this is 97 so CCTV was not it was, it was a three second time delay oh uh, yeah can you imagine I know what you mean. Back we're going. Yeah, yeah. so all you can see is me put hands on this guy the next thing he's down the other end of the bar <laughs> so the landlord said what did you use a special move I said well of course I did <laughs> <laughs> yeah. he said well what was what? it I said well I can't show you he was that uh, really like just sort of picked it up and, and that was it <laughs> <laughs> then my reputation from that one stupid incident was man that guy knows what he's knows doing what he's doing. <laughs> do not mess with him so um, that was it so I did that for about 18 months um, yeah so a, a few funny stories and that but nothing um, nothing too amazing it was, it was just a good experience again just to deal with drunken people really yeah are you still doing the Tang Soo Do at this point or are you completely I had Finish that. finished that my instructor wasn't happy with me he's a very traditional Chinese guy didn't want me doing judo um, so that that was it so I was a by then I was a second degree black belt uh, it's a real shame because I, I enjoyed although I didn't it wasn't a very 
effective self-defense art he was you know he's a good i knew lots of people there lots of friends yeah he said no you either stop doing all your other stuff and you only do this so that was it i thought i do my other stuff that seems a bit more interesting so you're not really on the lookout for jujitsu like you say it's not really in england in the late 90s is it at this point uh no, no, no one reaching out to the Graces to go back, or well, there was a guy that went out there who um, I met the second time I went out. So I went out in '97. I think I must have gone out again in late '97. Then I went out in early '98. So he was out there doing this instructor course. So he didn't come back to the UK to open school until '99, I think September '99. So no, there was nothing but bizarrely he taught in Canning Town so I could go and train with him yeah um, so that was and he was probably the first club in England to teach the Gracie system it wasn't again um, it wasn't Brazilian Jiu Jitsu it was Gracie Jiu Jitsu yeah. that he was teaching okay so where did you go on from there then so the bouncing how long did that go on for two years couple yeah of years? so i I finished that in 99 and that's when I started working with the, the young offenders because that shift works so I couldn't do the two yeah um, so what was the thinking behind the young offenders thing how did you fall into that I had no money I, the, the, the class I'd have about six if I was lucky six students would turn up you'd make about eight quid I remember I think I had I had nine people turn up once and the guy said that you'll be going to the Caribbean on holiday soon, won't you? And it's like, yeah, with me six quid profit. <laughs> <laughs> so there was no money coming in. That the door work was again not uh, doing very well. So a friend of mine worked in the children's home. He said it's not a bad job. It's you know it's, it's quite lively. And obviously at the time, after work doing the Marines, you, you still want a bit of an adrenaline driven sort of job really yeah and the door work does that to a bit but um so i said okay well i'll look at that but then in the paper was a an advert for this place called medway stc which is a secure unit so back in the i think 96 uh, labor government there's all this feral youth running around and you could commit a crime at 12 which if you as an adult you'd be in prison for but back then there was no prison you would just be you just have a record so kids were just committing crimes and crimes and crimes so eventually said right the government said we're going to lock them up so they built this um, huge place in Kent and that was the plan it was going to be a, a kind of a sort of a touchy feely uh, right on kind of staff dealing with kids that needed touchy feely right on staff to kind of look after them they didn't realise that that doesn't work because yeah. they're going to get the crap beaten out of them, and that's that was my sort of first exposure to the, that sort of um, that world. So, what ages are they there? Say, so, so you say twelve until it was supposed an to be twelve, but there's uh, very reluctant to send them there. So it's normally fourteen to sort of sixteen was your average age. Fifteen was probably the most common. And I think I read, you know, statistically, you're at your most volatile at 15, you know, youngsters, young adult males. That is when you don't care, you, your risk taking is at its highest. And again, you just, your uh, stance with authority at is, is, you've got no tolerance for it at all. 
so they were sending that type of kid there at the most extreme ends so they would only send them there if they're again really committed of a violent offence and they'd be putting them with you know really a lot of middle-aged women again very sort of hip young guys that thought they were going to make a connection with these these kids and it you know it didn't work it didn't work at all so when I applied to work there I think when I finally got in they'd had a riot they'd had to get the um, so it was run by group four and they had to then get their prison staff to take over so they was there as a support measure but for a about six months they was there as a full time and they was just restraining kids all day long it, you know just all day long it was just aggro really so when I got there it was it was yeah full on it was good it's fun so I was going to ask actually if you kind of covered it there I think so it sounds like it started off they wanted to rehabilitate these kids and yeah. they wanted to change and turn their lives around by the time you got there and uh, and afterwards was it literally just damage control, just trying to keep any type of order that that you yeah. can? Yeah, I think most people, what, what they said the plan was, I think they tried this in the 80s, they called it the short, sharp shock. And it's a thing that people uh, say about national service and they forget the national service didn't work. Yeah. And you can't just send someone somewhere and shout them a lot and in three weeks they think better of it yeah. and then you'll kick them out so it was normally the orders were um, a three month six month nine month and what the public wanted was in three months they would you would turn the life around of this lad right and you say right okay and it sounds reasonable three months and you say you're going to get educated every day there'll be a, a fixed regime of you know eating sleeping and but you're dealing with a you know, a, a, a group that you've got no idea how their lives operate. No, of course. So, if you, at fifteen, if you've committed a violent crime, you you didn't wake up one morning at fourteen and just say, "I'm going to commit a violent crime." You've you've seen and witnessed violence from a very early age. You're probably in a, a family that commits violence and criminal acts, so it's part of what you do anyway. Yeah, you have a very nocturnal life because most crime is committed at night. So, yeah, you, what are you going to do in three months? Three months would not you can't even really get a handle on what to do with them you know yeah um, sure try and work them out sort of individually yeah so you know with the best will in the world even with psychologists and psychiatrists you've got an idea of what you should do but as soon as they come in they're gonna not want to do it so then you go well how do we make them do it um well you can't so there will then be a lot of physical force involved even something like saying your bedtime is at half eight what kid at 15 is going to go to bed at half eight sure. not without a fight that's for sure so most of our evenings would be going around the units putting kids in bed so to speak as in by force you're not putting them in bed you're putting them in their secure room in the room yeah so you know you would turn up a bit more banded and you do the right thing mate come on it's half eight you need to get your, you know all those sorts of things but they're not gonna it's if you if you want me in there you have to put me in there okay well let's let's do that then you do that with him and then you'll go to the next one mate <laughs> <laughs> so 
you know um, and that could be you know you're talking about that's just bedtime that's a very simple request so if you imagine any other request was at that at that time it's only ever going to be met with force yeah so yeah so you know and people's um, intentions were the best intentions because no one really wanted to put hands on or do anything like that it's it's aggro yeah Um, of course it is yeah you know, and you get yourself injured, mm. and you get yourself, um, you know, possible prosecute, you know, all the things. So you say, look, it's the last thing we want to do. However, we can't have you up at midnight smashing the place up. You go, so that's you know, that was an eye opener. So in t- in terms of um, uh, children, young young sort of teenagers. I was going to ask about um, whether you think martial arts at a young age, maybe in school, could help. I mean, those examples you say there, they, they're maybe beyond that a little bit with their background and their upbringing and just the sort of violence that they've been subjected to throughout their life. It's almost kind of uh, inevitable that they take a certain road. But otherwise, if you look at, uh, I don't know, the youth of today, they're sort of much maligned. And uh, I think recently they've seen a uh, rising in knife uh, crime and violence in, in London, definitely. And, and other parts as a martial arts practitioner uh, someone who's passionate about it how do you feel about not necessarily compulsory but introducing children to martial arts at a younger age we, we had a boxing program at, at Medway and we had a boxing coach come in and he was proper down with the kids the problem you know not many kids were interested and the most violent kids the most disruptive were not necessarily good fighters anyway. They were just violent. Yeah. Um, the kids that actually participated were the kids that you actually quite liked. Good lads, you know. Obviously, took a bit of a wrong uh, path, but yeah. and you you could encourage those the, the the hardcore ones. They would not want to put some gloves on or do anything because that was going to look terrible. So it'd be a bit embarrassing for them. Of the very the, the, the minority that were probably going to be interested in it, we couldn't justify because of their violence towards staff. You couldn't then say we're going to give them additional boxing training now, yeah. even though you might say well, that that could, you know, risky in it? it. It's risky, and obviously, if you, if if just say a member of staff just said I've had a proper right hander off Billy this morning. And he's going boxing once a week. Well, I'm not happy about that. Yeah. So it was, it's a tough one. I think the problems at the moment that you spoke about is, is a problem that is, is a generational thing. It's not going to go away. Uh, if there was an easy answer, I would give you that easy answer. I, I think martial arts again is, is such a, a disciplined thing to start with most of them kids that don't really have any discipline it would be difficult even you know, even if you offered it would they actually sort of uh, get fully involved I don't know sure it, yeah. it would be lovely to think they could um, but but considering what they what they do enjoy doing it's um, unlikely they'd want to want to do it I think so fair point so we'll just go back to the so young offenders units you're still working there and you've uh you got your class going on as well that you're teaching and about six people are uh, kind of turning up every week Yeah, that's so I guess it, it got to a point where that improved and you, you, your, your academy taking on more students 
how did you find that sort of juggling that with uh, full-time employment and just the general growth of the class yeah I was, I was doing a lot of um so I was, I was, by the time the class was doing okay it's about eight years in which is about the average time so just teaching Krav Maga right okay but um, I needed to do something else because it was very much a you get three new students join you get two leave so you was never really ahead yeah or just you're just about ahead yeah so I was doing some private stuff and that so it was it was okay there was an income and then again small increments in in class size and that um, but the place I was working at in the end it looked like it was going to shut so we'll, we'll just rewind a little bit I, I was teaching a guy jiu-jitsu I was a brown belt at the time and uh, the guy was a had done lot, lots of the class always helping out so really just a really good client so as a as a, as a thank you I thought I should get my private with um, some uh, Brazilian guy really yeah. so I tried Roger Gracie uh, wasn't available um, I tried Mauricio wasn't available uh, but every year I'd seen Horace he would come over for a seminar and I just tapped on his website and it just so happened he was in the UK around about May um, this was about March time so I thought well, I'll see if I can get him for a private so I contacted the UK rep and he said yeah we can do that so um, unbelievably I got Horace Gracie for a private for, for my client um, and the guy drove Horace Gracie to his house did the private and um, I had a little roll with Horace and that and he just said oh you know it's, uh... so he, he'd known me for you know 15 years or so but really only the guy from the academy back in the 90s but then seeing him each year at a seminar yeah uh, and he'd give me my brown belt as well so but that was it there was no real uh, a stronger connection than that so um, I then thought oh, maybe maybe teaching Jiu Jitsu would be good for the class had that as a, an additional class in the week wonder how that would work out so I booked him for a, a seminar the seminar went well um, and that was it I thought let's do Jiu Jitsu as well as the Krav and just see how that works out if it doesn't work out it doesn't work out yeah yeah it worked it out. Worked out. <laughs> yeah, definitely. You were doing what? Crav once a week, jiu-jitsu once a week? Doing Crav twice a week. And I was doing like a judo class on a Saturday. So it was a kid's class. Um, and again, three or four kids, just a very small mat area. Um, I had a judo coach help me out. Um, sadly, he had the early stage of Alzheimer's oh, right. so I couldn't really have him as a coach um, and although I was a judo and black belt at the time you still need to be join the BJA and do a coaching course and those sorts of things so it just made sense to if you're going to do Jiu Jitsu maybe just do that Saturday morning so a few guys said yeah yeah we'll do it we'll do it my instructors so it just started off with a few kids with my instructors down the end we just do yeah. a few bits and pieces that then started to grow and then what you had was the parents of the kids training go 
is it an open class? Can I do it as well? So, and then uh, I just figured, so we had Crabbega on a Monday and a Wednesday uh, and a Thursday as well, but throughout the, it was very sparsely. So I just figured if I do the jits on a Wednesday, I'll have a different group of people completely. Yeah. And see how that works out. And it works out. <laughs> So, so how long ago was that actually what year was this where you added jiu jitsu to your uh, 2012 2011 I think was the first official kind of I'm a Horace Gracie affiliate yeah um, yeah that was that and, and you were brown belt at this time yeah so how did you transition to the black belt do you want to talk us through the sort of process for... um um <clears throat> he come over did, did some privates again I had it for another seminar and he just said you should test for your black belt we didn't say test you should come out to Miami for your black belt so I thought well that sounds cool I'll do that I, I just thought he'd give, give me a black belt yeah <laughs> so um, I went out there to Miami um, and then in that week and that was a really tough week but it's then the guys are saying now there is a there's a proper test here it's not and it, it is a pass or fail so I thought okay well again you kind of think look I've come all the way from England they're going to have to give me some slack yeah um, so one of the, the, the things they're really hot on is the self defence and it's not there's a, there's a sequence of moves within the system the Helio Gracie system which is about 83 moves and as a black belt you should know all of them um, and I didn't really know them well enough so you spend an hour really getting bashed up um, and grilled but the self-defense part wasn't wasn't good enough so I did the test I thought it had gone okay um, and then what had happened it was a bit of a mix-up if you had failed Hoist contacted you at the hotel or just caught up with you if you pass then no one you just turn up on the belt ceremony so I used to walk to the gym every day with a guy called uh, Jeremy and he got mashed up he got his arm uh, not broke but it was all strapped up and that but he passed the test and he hadn't been told so um, he said brother I think we're good yeah, so yeah. I remember walking to the academy, you know, buzzing. It's a little spring in my step. We did the um, there was a no gi class before the big ceremony, so I've just got my no gi stuff on. I'm good to go, and Horace calls me out. Now he said, "John," so I got in the back room, and he just said, oh, "Just just to let you know, oh, you didn't pass." So okay, <laughs> expected him to say, but <laughs> but work on this and we'll let you have the belt and I really I, I was almost convinced finishing his sentence, his sentence for him and he says so we're going to invite you back next year I was like Ooh. so I went oh, okay and then he I don't know what he said after that I wasn't really listening yeah so then I had to go back out and I, was like, I didn't get it you know so I stayed watched Jeremy get his belt on that and um, yeah just a real kind of um, not a good evening but another experience another another experience that whole week was a uh, tough week a brutal week 
and I, you know, I've said before, if if had I have passed, had I just got the belt, I don't think I'd I'd have gone back, and I wouldn't have trained the way I do now. When you spend time with those black belts, you see the level they're at, and the level that I was at was nowhere near. And I, I couldn't have called myself a black belt. I certainly couldn't have been in their company. So it was a a really good thing to happen, even though at the time it was yeah. um, you know horrendous, a very disappointing um, events. But yeah, that was that. So are you sort of contemplating to go back next year at this point, or are you thinking, what do I do? No, no, I was, was going to. I'm always going to go back the next year. My my plan then was you you leave and go somewhere else for a black belt that's yeah. one option the problem with that is you've got to join another school no other school is going to give you a black belt within three weeks they're going to want to well, what are you going to do for us and how good are you and so you might have to wait at least a year so that's okay plus if you didn't get your black belt and then you leave people would say well that's a bit throw your toys at the pram isn't it you didn't get what you wanted so you left yeah. to get your belt so it doesn't sound too good um, so or you can promote yourself you just, <laughs> just buy one <laughs> just get one and, and don't really tell anyone and just yeah. kind of you know you, I could probably get away with it I could have, I could have said yeah I did get my belt in my, at Miami under horse and yeah. that but I decided to leave him now and that's why we don't getting back and but at some point you can you, get found out you get found out yeah definitely what did some of the other boys do who uh, who didn't pass that day they they left they did that and they went there. elsewhere and they got their belts within three months but in America from an instructor so most of the guys that uh, there's a lot of guys in North Carolina and they just found another guy teaching in North Carolina joined him so um, yeah to them it, it wasn't important um, but you've but, lost that connection then haven't you you've, you've just For no made reason. a massive error yeah yeah so of course you want the belt no yeah. one wants to go back to your school and say you failed but um, well it's it, it then gives more credibility to the belt it wasn't as if you just rocked up there and there's your belt come back so I'm obviously having got it through the test I, I would prefer people were tested for belts because you know you can get on very well with your instructor and that does make things a bit easier then doesn't it you can, yeah you know um, so but it's each each to their own I, I, the test is good but you wouldn't have it any other way having failed it you think you've come out better because of it as I said if if there, there's no way um, when you see the level of guys you're out there with I roll with a, a number of them and you just realise that your level is not anywhere near that so you're going to have to you know raise your game you've got to step it up and if that means you know um, I mean in fairness I wasn't teaching I'd only been teaching really a, a few months and if you're going to get good at Jiu Jitsu you do need to teach it and obviously if you're teaching it then you're doing what you teach and you're getting good at what so that does make a difference uh, but guys out there you know, you're rolling with someone that is, you know, if I, if I was getting to roll maybe three times a week, they're rolling three times a day. Yeah. You know, so you're not going to bridge that gap anytime soon, but at least it gives you a, that's where I should be headed for. So, yeah. Once you see the level, 
and I knew the level would be good but you do need to experience the level and then you think right let's just work on this let's been all the fancy stuff let's just get you know uh, get 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 the fundamentals weighed off I didn't even have good fundamentals so yeah so the very good experience as you say that extra year oh yeah they're all good they're all not at the time <laughs> but you look back and go, yeah I'm, I'm glad I had that well, it takes I you back to the marine days I suppose when you had to do the uh that week with no hold sleep fast. two three yeah, times fast. well I was looking at doing that third time and that was that that would have broken me I think yeah not just mentally but physically because because you dig for a week so all your hands have got sores your knees have got sores so you have to do that again for the second week they're not healing so if I had to have done, done it a third time I, I probably would have got an infection yeah. or something your body just can't sort of deal with that but it just kind of worked out that the troop I then joined it's just a quick funny story really if I can tell it quickly <laughs> I've gone into the sergeant major's office to say I'm going to join this new troop and I knew that the troop that I should be joining had already done that exercise so by rights I should have gone back another troop to repeat the exercise that you failed but the sergeant major didn't know that don't ask me why it, well, as in it came apparent he didn't know that so then I, I had this decision do I tell him that if I go back I you know so I remember thinking is that right I thought, so I'm not going to say nothing <laughs> so he picked my card out and he put it in the that troop yeah. so I thought right let's see if I can get away with this so I joined the troop and I think every day for the next week I thought at some point someone's going to call me out and say you you shouldn't be here and you know that but I got away with it it's is one of them moments in your life you think what's the right thing to do here and I had seconds to make a decision but, uh, yeah. I think we'd have all gone with that one wouldn't we? <laughs> definitely yeah. you've got to take the chance yeah so eventually you did go back to uh, Miami uh, to retake the black belt test, uh, at which point you passed. Yeah. Um, and at the same time you're running your own academy uh, back at home, which is growing and growing. Uh, so I just wanted to sort of discuss your thoughts and feelings at the time when you're making this jump. You're like, right, I'm going gonna, gonna to pack my job in, I'm going to set up this academy and this is it now. This I'm doing this full time. Was Were you confident? Was it Obviously it's always a risk, but were you nervous was it a really stressful time or did you have full belief that yeah this is this is going to work I was only working two days a week at the uh, at the unit so I wouldn't actually be losing a lot of money okay um, but what I'd realised was more opportunities were coming my way just by having that more time available so I'd gone from five days a week shifts four three two um I could do more private stuff. I could just so people that I knew were teaching full time. They were successful because they had all day to plan, prepare, yeah. and just do stuff. So I figured, well, as long as I'm working to do stuff with class, then it should be okay. You know, if, if the worst happens, well, then I don't know. I'll I have to go and get a regular job yeah. and, and, and go back to that, but because I'd been part-time for so long and and things were going well in fact I think I gave myself a target 
I thought if I hit that target in terms of student numbers, um, we should be good to go. And I, I planned for that over say six months, and I hit it within I think the end of the month. It just I had a load of students all come in. I thought, oh, wow. well, okay, um, let's do it. So I think there was a, a redundancy package. If I had stayed on, because the place did shut, and I just figured, no, no, I think I might as well go now. If I if I delay it, if I wait a few more months, just for you know a few grand. Yeah, you might miss the boat. So um, yeah, I didn't really have any uh, doubts like that. I just, I just, as you, as you do, like, like many things, you just let's take the plunge. You know, what's if it doesn't work out, it doesn't. But that's it. So uh, you say you were quite confident. Was there a moment? I mean, you set yourself that target for six months. The amount of new students you got there by the end of the month. Was there? A, has there been a um, eureka moment where? you kind of reflect on it and you think yeah this I'm, I knew it was going to work from that point onwards no I, I you know you it's you know martial arts is a it's a funny because there's a high turnover uh, but what I've noticed with with what I teach with Krav Maga is a high turnover of really people come in they want to do a few Jason Ball moves and then they'll go yeah. they'll never interact with martial arts again which jiu-jitsu people tend to have already done some martial arts and they, they do see jiu-jitsu as the martial art and if you're going to do this properly you need to invest in it so the retention for jiu-jitsu is incredible I've, I, I don't really lose people at all if they go it's because they're moving um, or you know a, a real reason whereas the crab people unfortunately is a bit more of a oh, you know I've started a new job or something kind of lame like that but you knew that it was never going to yeah. stay so um, no it, it just seems to be working fine so I'm happy the craft people but more stay now again having more time to try and work on that class and keep people motivated uh, with Jiu Jitsu you don't really need to do that people are a little bit more self motivated in that and I guess it helps with the, the hoist relationship. You're you're under the hoist lineage. You teach hoist yeah. crazy jiu-jitsu. It can only be a benefit. It's massive. Yeah, it's huge. It's opened uh, a lot of doors. Um, even those when people come in, they don't sometimes they don't know who hoist is. They just think it's jiu-jitsu or yeah. Brazilian jiu-jitsu. It's only when they find out, they do a little bit of research that um, it then becomes apparent. This is a little bit more than what I expected. So um, no, he's been really good. I, he's um, you know, he's a top man. So do your uh, students compete at all? No, no. We are it, as a as a self defence art. Yeah. So we don't do anything along the lines of sport. If they want to compete, I mean, there's there's a lad that does compete, um, but he does other training at sport club. So, in fairness, if you're going to compete at a higher level of sport you've got to know the sport moves and I'm not going to teach them they're not they're not what I do they're not what works for me they don't work in a self-defense situation so I wouldn't want to say I, I, I do you can't do everything you can't teach self-defense and sport and yeah. you know you, I think you've got to be disciplined you do one or the other did you compete back in the day? I have done yeah back in the Nine, uh, 2004 I think um, I won 
We had the Gracie Invitational, sort of that is a blue belt three stripe, like a light heavyweight. Um, I come fourth in the absolute, which wasn't a bad day. No, and yeah. I fought a lot of guys that are well known black belts now, so that was a, like a really good day. I even won the raffle. <laughs> <laughs> what so was it? I, I, it? Nothing could go wrong that day. Yeah, it's good. What, what, what did you pick out? The raffle. Um, I, I forget what it was now. It was like a cheap bottle of wine or something like that. <laughs> what a day, yeah. Uh, the icing on the cake. Yeah, was, no day is complete yeah. without a raffle, is it? <laughs> so you're competing in jiu-jitsu. Do you reckon um, you'd have competed in MMA if it was sort of like the, the monster it is now in terms of a sport? Um, I've no idea. I've no idea. Um, probably not. I think because when I started Tang Sulo, I chose that as a... Because there was boxing clubs. There was... You know, judo clubs, um, Thai boxing, but they, they seem to be the arts, man. You're going to get hurt there. Whereas something like Tang Sudo didn't seem, you know, it's, it's a semi contact art. So I don't think I went in there with the, um, with a, with a full contact mind. Not that many people do, I, I suppose, but I seem quite happy with that. But back then, there was still kind of a, you know, what works and what doesn't work in the street. And so judo was always seen as a, well, it's a sport. Of course it doesn't work. And the guy needs a jacket. Mm. What about boxing? Well, that doesn't work either because you need big gloves on and, uh, and, and, and in boxing you can't bite or you can't poke in the eye. So that's rubbish. So you come up with, well, what does work then? Well, karate because you can kick him in the balls and, yeah. So no one really knew what you just assumed, you know, was, was nowadays we look at boxing as absolutely essential and judo is, Essential and obviously uh, jiu-jitsu Yeah. Um, so I, I would probably say no, but you know, I don't know. <laughs> Even with a hoist connection, I, I reckon he, uh, he would have convinced you. One or if two. If hoist was teaching, I think even competing, I was very reluctant to. Oh really? Even when I did that comp, hoist has put me in because he was doing the, the brackets. Just throw you in there. He, said, he goes, but he goes. There's, there's hardly anyone competing, so go for it. It's you like, turn up for the raffle and then you compete. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I said, right, then I'll do it. You know? But it wasn't like, um, yeah, it wasn't like, a, oh yeah, yeah, I'm definitely. In for yeah, that. it wasn't. Yeah, it was just more the art itself rather than the actual. Just enjoy training. Yeah, you know, I just i I enjoy training. I enjoy you know everything about it. But the, the, only because I think I did a lot of competitions in Tangsu though. And all competitions are the same, as in you turn up early, you wait all day, you can turn up for a fight that doesn't happen. Yeah. Um, you're exhausted, you don't eat, you can't eat, you know. And that's a, it's a whole day spent really just waiting for potentially one fight. So it's not an attractive thing anyway, for, it wasn't for me, but, um, so, yeah. So on Tang Soo Do, I'm not overly familiar with it. What's what's just like Taekwondo? Just Taekwondo. It's, it's virtually identical. Yeah. Okay. Lots of kicking. Lots of high kicking. Do you think that was? How come you went on from there to judo? Do you think it was because of the UFC? Because I, I saw grappling. I didn't see many high kicks going on. I certainly didn't see anyone doing like reverse punch. And, yeah. And, and, and doing like loud. <laughs> and you know, I've said before, 
after watching the first I think it was UFC 2 was the only one you could watch originally UFC 1 wasn't available yeah although I knew that Hoist had won UFC 1 when I watched UFC 2 and I watched him so I didn't know what the result was but I watched it on video so he beat one guy and the next guy by the third guy I thought he can't just rugby tackle him and choke him please tell me that someone does a kick yeah and he'd done it again so at the end of that I was completely deflated I thought I've done four years of this art five times a week double sessions you know advanced sessions and it's a complete waste of time you know so um, I thought right let's, let's do no jiu-jitsu available obviously no so let's find a judo club and that's so that's when I got into grappling that seems to be the general consensus of sort of people at that time it's just I've got to learn this art yeah. after seeing UFC 1 2 in the early days if only to sort of almost to discredit it because I the first time I went to the judo club I, t- I turned up and there's a lad there I think he's like 21 but he's a cadet international he's a second degree black belt six foot two just a very and I think he was applying to join the police the most arrogant cocky lad you can imagine and he said oh you know what, what would you do for a living and I was like, I'm, I'm the marines and he just took that as a right let's have it mm. and he he bounced me all around this hall and I just thought yeah but if this is real if I could use my Tang Su skills like, I was clutching at straws <laughs> and then um, we went to the ground I thought oh, I've got a chance on the ground not that I knew anything on the grounds so I did what everyone does I was in his guard I'm trying to do the Darth yeah, Vader choke yeah, yeah. and he started gurgling and he said oh I think you got me there mate and then he spun for an arm lock and just wrenched my arm he went no you ain't <sighs> What you cocky twat like man <laughs> and I I think I got in the car and I thought I could still beat him but by the time I got on my driveway I thought I had nothing I've got to learn grappling you know and that was so again it's a terrible experience <laughs> but with the the best possible outcome I just thought I can't have a guy like that just ruining me and in such a you know uh, an arrogant way yeah it did have a good ending though because I I trained with him about four years later and he didn't remember me and I crucified him on the ground he walked off the mat in the end he didn't want to be submitted anymore so it, <laughs> it, it, it went full circle what goes around comes around exactly. though, and all that alright so just take it back briefly to uh, your role as the instructor now so you just had a couple of stories as a student there so we're going to go a bit sort of left field as, uh, and look into the role of the jiu-jitsu instructor martial arts coach in general see there you, you teach technique uh, and that's it you, you teach people how to defend themselves I was wondering in the modern day obviously mental health issues are a big issue lots of people have depression nowadays it's much more recognised it's much more uh, accepted as a uh, coach you have a, a bunch of students underneath you. you you teach them how to defend yourself do you do you think it's part of your role to uh, not get involved in people's personal lives but take an interest and try and help them with any issues they might have Have you has anyone come to you before and said I'm struggling and is that something that you think you would be 
place to deal with. I'm not qualified. No. And I, unless you are qualified, I think you'd be ill-advised to, you know, you can listen by all means. Um, people do tell you stuff. People, you know, again, um, a lot of personal information. And I think, you know, as long as you hold that information, then that's, that's fine. Um, I, I can't, I have given advice. I don't think anyone has probably ever taken the advice. I think people, I, I say that in terms of people, they probably want your spin on it, but it's unlikely they're going to act on it yeah. anyway. Um, but in, in terms of, you know, advice, if, if I was that concerned, then I think you're on, it's difficult to give advice because again, what, 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 what qualifications have you got? What experience have you got? Yeah, sure. I mean, even talking with the kids, you know, that in my, my job role, you know, you, you're there to listen really and do a lot of nodding and, um, but in terms of advice, um, you know, you, you need to know what advice to give, not just your homespun philosophy yeah, on, sure. on life, you know, which, unfortunately does um, end up being the case so I think someone said you know if, you, if you're if sick you go see a doctor if you want marriage advice you go see a marriage guidance counsellor because you've done a black belt test doesn't um, you know, it's not an umbrella qualification no, course, for all yeah. those things but I think people appreciate if you listen to them so yeah and I guess I'm, being I'm a pair of ears for people there that's at least something to, yeah. for people to vent and I know uh Lots of things that are prescribed when people are struggling. Phys- the physical activity, it's in itself, yeah, is enough to sort of help people uh, who are going down that route. So, in terms of the academy, what what are your hopes and your plans for the future? Let's say um, in ten years' time, you will achieve your absolute wildest dreams. In terms of where the academy will be at that time, what would that be? That's a difficult one. <laughs> um. At the moment, it is it's, it's really just about building, just keep building the, the academy. Um, I know there's lots of people do the online teaching. <clears throat> I'm not so sure about that. I think that may be saturated market at some point as well. Um, I know you know Hoist is still travelling, teaching, just and I think people at the end of the day prefer that the one-to-one or the yeah. interaction um, so my job is it would be nice to have people teach for me um, and 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 that would be it really I think just try and maybe have a few more schools would I have a HQ that would be nice to think of um, difficult it's it's a lot of money you'd need a very good location um, yeah. but it's not beyond um, you know, the realms of my imagination it would be a matter of location and cost. Obviously, it'd be lovely to have something close to where I am, but then you're talking you know, some serious funds. Yes. To have that, um, but it's possible with you know a good amount of students. So we'll see. So at the moment, I'd say if you had a ten-year plan, that ten-year plan started when I went full time. So we're doing okay. So yeah, certainly. Yeah, when I, since I went full time, we've grown an awful lot. So let's see where we are. Maybe this time next year, 
and then I can probably make a, a few more definitive uh, plans then. Cool, cool. All right, so we're going to move away from that slightly. I want to uh, discuss uh, jujitsu itself. Um, so a couple of points. Let's talk about uh, jujitsu and MMA. Obviously, it, it's proved uh, its effectiveness over the years. Hoisted that very early doors, and jujitsu has been a part of the UFC and a part of the the MMA for the field for a long time. We've seen recently with people like Crone uh, Gracie fought in the UFC the other week. Ryan Hall submitted uh, BJ Penn. You've got Gordon Ryan, who's a pretty big name in the jiu-jitsu sport world. He's venturing in to, um, into MMA. So we've seen a little bit of an ev- evolution in terms of uh, uh, you've got 10th Planet and you've got uh, John Danaher and his type of thing and leg locks. They're becoming a, a massive part of it now. Um, without you know your personal opinions on those individuals, I don't know how much attention you pay to MMA in general but do you think this is um, another resurgence in jiu-jitsu in MMA can you see this really taking over again um, what on, on Crone's victory you say or? yeah so if you look at Crone yeah he's got a win in the USC now pure jiu-jitsu Damian Meyer's been doing it for years you've got Ryan Hall you've got Gordon Ryan and all these types of people making their moves into MMA with not necessarily Crone, he's got a classic Gracie style, but certainly uh, people like Gordon Ryan, there's uh, the leg locks, they're bringing that in there. Is this the start of, because obviously Jiu-Jitsu won the first UFCs, and then in the interim, people have got wise to that to an extent. Are we now seeing the return of dominant Jiu-Jitsu uh, players in the MMA world, do you think? Um, I don't know really. I mean, Crone is obviously high level, and he fought a guy that was not high level yeah. in terms of grappling. Yeah. So, um, and I've not seen the fight yet. I heard he, he took a few hits. I saw an early fight of his where again he, he won, but again he took a few hits. So, I think you'd have to sort of wait and see where what the level of opponents uh, is. I mean, no one's going to be able to compete with his jiu-jitsu for sure. Um, but I think Damien Meyer had a good run. But then he got, he basically got hit. Yes. Um, I I think it's more about you know, the the strategy of the opponent. If they got a better strategy, so it's not even about being a better grappler than Chrome. But if the strategy is, don't let him take me down, mm-hmm. and we work hard on that, that might be the thing that wins the fight. Um, the Ryan Hall submission, which was a the most incredible submission and again if you taught that in a if you'd have taught that 20 years ago at a self-defense seminar i mean you'd have been laughed out the at the training hall no one would have bought that would they no and yet there he is doing it on a guy that is high level um i i think again that would just be a matter of someone else that's having a better strategy to deal with ryan hall for that aspect of the game uh because i think he has been He's been handled before, hasn't he? Yes, yeah. So again, someone's worked it out. Yeah. And that's, that's, I think, where you're at really with MMA is, and they just said that with GSP, he just had the better strategies. You know, like he's a tough guy and he's, he's very competent, but he stuck to the strategy and was able to, you know, because he didn't really have an exciting knockout uh, highlight reel, did he? he no, he was just... 
out faults his opponents. Yeah, grind them down, just wear them down. I mean, he took some uh, punishment, but later on he did certainly. You know, yeah. So uh, yeah, that's my long-winded answer. No, fair enough. It's, it's, it was a bit of a long-winded question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Sorry, do you follow MMA at all, or you followed it closely, or not, just not close? You know, I, I like watching the fights, the big fights. Um, you know, I like watching the EBI, if because that's quite high. Um, you know, yeah, it's a sport. I'm not, but I like a lot of the the simple strategies that people use for the you know uh, the defensive aspects, the escapes that they use uh, are pretty good. Um, I've got the, the fight pass, so I watch the big fights and they come on. But yeah. I couldn't tell you who's on the road roster, who's the champion of what division of that, not at all. Do you not like the way it's sort of gone, the sport, a bit too WWE at the time, really, isn't it? It's a f- if you buy the company for $4 billion, it, it has to make money. It makes it? sense, yeah. So, but. And I think they said it's going to take a while to recover that. So what do you do? You you've got to have to sell it haven't you so no um, I think they're doing a, a good job it if you, if you look at it how it was in the old days yeah. you know but it's very disorganised and, and there were some terrible fights you don't really see a terrible fight now do you you might see lacklustre but you won't see a complete mismatch or a, you know, two clowns in there it's so they they're doing the best they can I yeah think. that poor fight these days would be considered a pretty high level back in the day wouldn't it yeah so yeah nah I, I do agree just touching on the EBI there I, I quite like watching those myself actually and you've got the combat jiu-jitsu that, that Eddie Bravo is doing now do you find that you can take anything from these sorts of events or are you just watching for pure entertainment really just a, a lot, I, I'm just, you know, a big appreciator of the, of the skill I mean the, the women are more enjoyable to watch sometimes than the guys because again there's there's no strength there so it yeah. has to be and they're tough I mean some of the positions they end up and they don't tap um, so I like that the good defence so I'm a big um, big fan of defence so yeah I like I'll watch it for that so I'm not I, if, if a guy if they say this guy's got an awesome Berenbolo and that oh, okay I'm not big into the footlocks um, but I do like it when they do the um, the overtime from the armbar. Yeah, that's quite choke. good, isn't it? Yeah, because again, they I've, I've noticed a, a shift in how they escape and that. So that that's yeah, I think it's a good thing. I've not watched many of the combat jiu-jitsu matches, but there's been some good things there. You know um, how the mount was. You'd never see the mount in submission wrestling. What's the point? The guy just covers up. What can you get? was now that's a very powerful position once again because you can just slap slap the bejesus out yeah. and then that they'll do things that you would never do put the hands up that's it yeah and they'll, you know so that that's been um, pretty good I'd say yeah well it's certainly become more popular isn't it jiu-jitsu as a spectator sport now it is yeah. got, like fight passes like you say he's picked up a, a couple of promotions yeah yeah I, I'd like I'd like to say it will grow how much I, I, I don't know. I think it will. I think it will just be okay. Yeah. I think it will be okay. I don't think it's. Um, it's not going to be football. It's never going to hit off with no. uh, casuals, is it? You know, like because boxing, you're going to get a big knockout, which is going to draw people in. Yeah, I mean, you watch. I mean, you you can be drawn into a boxing match with the um, with a 
pre-fight kickoff. Yeah. People go, oh, do you know what? I'm going to watch that. I'm going to watch it now based on that. Whereas people like us, you might say, I'm going to watch it. I think that's going to be a very technical, mm. you know, I'll, I'll pay to watch so-and-so fight. And they don't need to have a pre-fight pushing and shoving. Um, so that's the difference, I think. So whereas boxing will always get a surge of people that just based on the, it could be a proper blood and guts um, fight. And it quite often isn't. Whereas um, technical grappling match, you would just say, oh yeah, I, uh, I, I would watch Gordon Ryan fight a, a, a high level guy. I think he is it um, Fadumi's fighting. For, uh, Apparently so, yeah. Yeah, which, uh, so you know, I'll see when that comes around. I, I, I would probably, and it doesn't need. I don't need to see a pre-fight no, stuff no, or sells no. itself. Any any Twitter kind of spats. You just think oh, it'd be interesting to see where this goes. Yeah. Okay. You uh, got anything else you'd like to add on that, Joe? No. So I think uh, we covered quite a lot there. I don't know if you have anything you wanted to get out there. No, no. no? Um, uh, I, I said it on a previous podcast. You know, I've been very fortunate, trained some very good people. Um, so, the guy I trained with, Paul Cubmore, um, he's been like a, I've known about 20 years, boxing sides, uh, stand up. So, all my good boxing stuff and stand up skills that I've had to keep up for the Krav Maga, it's been through him. And another guy called Terry Barnett, who's a footing instructor on the Danny Nasanto. Uh, again, a, a really good sort of uh, guy to learn from. Very sort of uh, influential the last sort of ten years as well. So that's my little shout out to them. But uh, cool. other than that, no, thank you guys. No. Yeah, well, thank you very much for uh, coming on and uh, welcoming us into your home, as I say. Um, so yeah, I think we'll wrap this one up, there, Matthew. Yeah, top man, John. It was a pleasure speaking to you. Yes. Uh, yeah. You. Again, thanks for letting us in your home. It's a beautiful place, <laughs> must say. And uh, yeah, thanks. Yes, thank you very much. Cheers, mate.